Allow me to introduce you to Django Koenig. I'm born and raised in Plainfield, Vermont, um, outside of Montpelier. By day, he works for Dealer.com. I really enjoy doing tech support there. By night, he tours around Vermont under the moniker Django Solo. Um, I do Americana. I like to call it Americana Soul. And he likes to sing songs about his sweet rescue dog, Helen. Little deer with velvet ears, free us from our fears when we hold you near. When we hold you near. He recorded this song in his old apartment in Burlington's historic Old North End on Decatur Street. Django says life on Decatur was pretty ideal for him and his wife, Alex. It was their first home without roommates. They got married while living there, and the residents of the street formed a tight-knit community, including a lot of impromptu jams on the front porch. Exactly what I would want out of a street in the Old North End in Burlington. They have a festival there, Decatur Fest, every year. Not gonna lie, I feel emotional about um, my love for that street. But Django, Alex, and Helen no longer live on Decatur Street. Their lease ended last August. A few months earlier, their property management company had let them know that they wouldn't be able to renew, citing the need for major electrical work. Um, It did not feel good. And I will also say there was a little light bulb that went off in my head because of uh, the other incidents that I experienced with them within that apartment building. The year before, in 2021, Django and Alex's building was sold to Five Seasons Property Management. And the incident Django's referring to happened a few months after the new landlords took over, when they converted one of the four units in the building from a long-term rental to a short-term one. Uh, They turned the apartment upstairs that was next to ours into an Airbnb. And And that caught me off guard wasn't exactly a welcoming feeling that we were getting. He says once that happened, he kind of figured his apartment would be next. Django and Alex got lucky. They managed to find a new place in South Burlington. But Django kept tabs on their old Decatur Street place. And he didn't have to wait long to see what became of it. Yeah, within like a week, I want to say a week and a half or so, I was sent the Airbnb link from one of our neighbors. I reached out to Five Seasons directly, but they did not respond in time for the story. From Django's perspective, it wasn't just that they turned his apartment into an Airbnb. It was the specific way they updated his old place. See, the company did more than just electrical work. And the changes are summed up in the description of the apartment on Airbnb.com. Plush, pink, ambiance. Pictures of the Airbnb show hot pink bedding, a pink couch, a pink shag rug, nightstands, shower curtain, lamps, desk, all pink. Yeah, it just has a pretty hideous look. Kind of looks like what a Muppet might live in, I think, potentially. (laughs) Yeah, I think Miss Piggy would be very happy there. And visitors seem happy to be there too. 4.76 stars and lots of glowing reviews, which all support the message spelled out by the neon pink sign hanging on one of the walls. Good vibes. It's a sentiment that Django does not share. I was very angry 
when I saw that posting felt betrayed because I'd been lied to. Um, it sounds definitely seems like, unless they just all of a sudden had a change of heart and decided to go the Airbnb route that they it seems very clear that they had been planning it all along. It's not a secret that Vermont has a housing crisis, including the lowest rental vacancy rate in the country. Housing experts and town officials around the state are trying to figure out how much short-term rentals factor into that crisis. We do have such a limited supply of homes here in Vermont, particularly year-round homes for residents. And then there are the other effects of a growing short-term rental industry. What's at stake here is this sense of community. From a quiet residential neighborhood in the Northeast Kingdom. Short-term rental has ruined the character of the area. To the Airbnb capital of Vermont. I really had no idea that this many people were using short-term rentals to be able to afford to live in the community. Short-term rentals force us to ask tough questions about who we are and what we value. It really hurts me to see people judging one another so fiercely. It's not just short-term rentals. It's what is Vermont going to look like? What do we want our communities to look like moving forward? This is Brave Little State, a listener-powered journalism show from Vermont Public and a proud member of the NPR Network. I'm Josh Crane. Welcome. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. Christiana Martin is today's winning question asker. At least, we think she is. I wrote the question. I vaguely remember doing that. Christiana has three kids under the age of six, which may explain the fuzzy memory, and also her reaction a few months ago when she voted for her own question in a brave little state voting round, without realizing she herself had asked it. And thought, oh, that's a good question. I love this so much. It's so absurd. You had to convince me that it was my question. (laughs) I totally forgot. I met Christiana in her classroom in central Vermont. She teaches high school social studies, and she does remember, vividly, what piqued her interest in short-term rentals. Well... I've used Airbnb for vacation. In Vermont? Yep, yep. And, uh, like, most recently, a bunch of my friends, we went to um, Londonderry, Vermont. Um, And we rented this big house because we all have little kids, and we wanted to be able to put our kids to bed and then, like, hang out. And you just sort of wondered, like, is us being here in this Airbnb, like, does that mean that somebody doesn't get to live here? I would like to know, what is the status of Airbnb in Vermont? How many units are taking away from locals, and what can be done about it?
There are a lot of other questions you could ask about short-term rentals. Like, who benefits from them? Who gets to stay in cute little mountain getaways and fancy vacation homes? And who gets to invest in those properties in the first place? But Christiana is wondering less about the people involved in these transactions and more about the impact short-term rentals have on the surrounding communities. And I was like, oh, what, what would it be like to live next to an Airbnb? You know, we were nice neighbors. But I've heard stories of people having crazy parties and stuff, and the people who live around these Airbnbs, like, they don't, they don't know who to call. And also, what exactly is the scale of this issue? How many are there? Are they here to stay? Is it changing? And then the what can be done about it? Part of the question is, like, do we need laws to make this better for locals? So basically, Christiana wants to know about the data and what the data says we should do. We'll get there. But this isn't all about numbers. Even the introduction of one Airbnb in your town can cause a ruckus. That's what happened in Kirby, a town of about 400 in the Northeast Kingdom. I'm in the car right now driving to Kirby, Vermont, which is right near Burke Mountain Ski Resort. Um, I'm, I'm headed to Gorham Drive, which has been the site of a little bit of drama over the last you know, year plus, um, ever since an Airbnb popped up and pretty much all of the neighbors have banded together to basically complain about a lot of the disturbances and negative impacts um, from their perspective that the Airbnb has had on their neighborhood. Okay, I'm on Gorham Drive. It is very steep and very slick. Definitely need some some good snow tires on this road. Josh? Yes, I'm Barrett. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. This is Tika. She's, she's fine. She's. I love dogs. Annoyingly friendly. <laughs> I'd initially contacted one of the residents on Gorham Drive for an interview. By the time I show up, there are four people waiting to talk to me, sitting around the kitchen island. There's Susanna Keller. Um, I'm an operating room nurse in St. Johnsbury. Barrett Adams. And I'm a local contractor. Kim Adams, Barrett's wife. And I'm a teacher. We're sitting in the Adams house, by the way. And the last to join is Ida Sargent, former Olympian in cross-country skiing. I'm a school administrator at Burke Mountain Academy. Pretty soon, the conversation turns to what seems like one of the more popular topics for residents of Gorham Drive. Gorham Drive. The road itself. I was definitely thinking about it as I was driving up. Are we going to be able to get down tonight? Or are we going to walk down and abandon the car for the night and come get it later? I walked up. I'd be safer driving down. Okay. It's really scary. I can drive you guys. We can give you a ride. Yeah. yeah, hopefully. The houses on Gorham Drive are pretty spread out. And the residents I'm talking to clearly value privacy. Though they also cherish the community they have on the road. It's kind of like a family. You know, during the summertime, we'll have campfires and invite each other over, last-minute get-togethers, and it just is a little slice of heaven. And many of us have feel that that has been taken away from us. They feel it was taken away from them by a man named Todd Glawa. I spoke to Todd on the phone for almost an hour. He did not want to do an official interview. He said he's bad at public speaking and that the Gorham Drive neighbors already don't like him. 
he doesn't want to piss him off even more. But he did give me permission to share a little background. Todd lives about an hour away in Wolcott. He started a landscaping business when he was 16. He's almost 50 now, and he sees short-term rentals as a way to maintain an income without as much physical labor. He originally bought the property at the end of Gorham Drive in 2013 because he thought it would be a good business investment given its proximity to Burke Mountain Ski Resort. After finishing some renovations, he listed it on Airbnb and Verbo, And his customers give the property rave reviews. Five stars. Over 100 happy comments touting the breathtaking views, the bonfire pit, the recent renovations. It could all be yours for $289 a night. And you can bring nine of your closest friends, which is a detail that irks the year-round neighbors. And it's advertised for 10 people staying there. It's more than an average number of beds you would have in a normal house. Of course, it's kind of desens... Like, I don't mean to say we're desensitized, but it's like, oh, must be Friday. I'm expecting at least three more vehicles behind Mm -hmm. that one to go up. Oh, looks like they're headed down for the ride. That's great. Oh, coming back up. Oh, somebody forgot the beer. You know, that's how it goes. You know, cars that couldn't make it up the hill at 11 o'clock at night in my driveway with intoxicated people throwing up. Like, that's just a standard experience. I heard a litany of other complaints, too. Airbnb guests driving too fast, spinning out and getting stuck. I mean, I shouldn't have to make phone calls every other night to the owner going, um, you know, they're doing 40 miles an hour up the road or they're stuck in a ditch. All of which leads to more road maintenance. And since Gorham Drive is a private road, the extra work and extra expense falls to the residents. It's just the amount of maintenance that I have to do is, you know, exponentially grown. Also, snowmobiles cutting across private property. Littering. A constant stream of lost guests. And the people are nice. They're always apologetic. But there's, they don't know. And then it's new people every weekend that don't know. One time, Kim says that guests looking for the Airbnb almost ran over her five-year-old daughter, who was riding her bike in the driveway. Barrett remembers a night when he heard gunfire. I'm a hunter, you know, and I have no problem with that kind of stuff. But I could hear bullets zinging through the trees right above our garage. So um, anyways, I, I took my truck up there and went to go let them know what was going on. Like, you need to stop this. And there was at least a dozen guys um, from down country that were hammered. Um, you know, they were drinking beer and they had a handgun and they were just blasting it off into the woods. Hey there. A few days after getting my first earful of grievances on Gorham Drive, I went back for round two, this time to meet Ben Merkin, another neighbor. I quickly learned that Ben shares a lot of the same concerns as everyone else I spoke to. People driving too fast, people parking in his yard, people puking in his yard, perhaps in that order. Yeah, it was, that was a tough one to swallow. But then I learned something that made me reconsider everything I knew about this whole situation. So just to backtrack a little is, I was, on, I was the chair of the Planning and Zoning Commission. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, um, until last year. 
I sound surprised because the Kirby Planning Committee and Zoning Board is the arm of town governance responsible for regulating short-term rentals. And it made me wonder how Ben used his power as chair of the board. What did he do to try to get the party house on his road under control? And I wasn't willing to do anything because I felt like it felt biased because it was in my backyard. And I didn't want to make a decision that could put the town at risk of being sued because of something personal going on on my road. It's one thing to identify the problem. It's another to find a solution, especially in a tiny town where everyone knows each other. That said, Ben agrees with his neighbors that issues with the Airbnb have only gotten worse in the past year. And there's actually some data to back this up. Demand for Vermont short-term rentals has increased by almost 150% since 2019. This is according to AirDNA, a company that researches vacation rentals. That means, in general, short-term rentals like the one on Gorham Drive are busier than ever. Over the same time frame, the total number of short-term rental listings in Vermont has increased by 20%. The Vermont Housing Finance Agency runs a website called housingdata.org, and it shows that in December 2022, short-term rentals that take up an entire home in Vermont numbered about 10,166. It's interesting because the top 10 towns for um, short-term rentals are also the top 10 towns for vacation homes in Vermont. And, you know, most of those are right next to ski ski resorts. This is Leslie Black Plumeau. I work at Vermont Housing Finance Agency, and I'm the community relations and research manager. Leslie was the primary author of the latest Vermont Housing Needs Assessment, published in 2020. The state commissions one of these every five years and uses it for planning purposes. And Leslie first started to take short-term rentals seriously while working on this project. We do have such a limited supply of homes here in Vermont, particularly year-round homes for residents. And so given that short supply, every little bit that is missing from the housing stock is important. Vermont's housing crisis has only gotten worse since then. And there's no shortage of data to illustrate this. You know, it simply is true that we have very, very little vacant year-round housing right now, like seriously low vacancy rates. We have the lowest rental vacancy rate in the nation. So we are, the, we are really, really, really in an extreme situation in terms of going on. In 2022, the median price of a home in Vermont increased by 15 percent, the largest annual bump since at least 1988. Not to mention that a recent report revealed that Vermont now has the second highest rate of homelessness in the nation, per capita, behind only California. Between 2020 and 2022, the amount of homelessness in Vermont increased by 151 percent. These numbers are overwhelming, and they show us just how much Vermonters are struggling. It is unconscionable that we as a society are not providing enough housing for all the people who live in our communities. Emily Rosenbaum is passionate about fixing Vermont's housing crisis. It is unconscionable that people are out living in tents, that we have year-long waiting lists for affordable housing, that people can have jobs and still not be able, full-time jobs, and still not be able to afford a place to live. This is unconscionable. And we as a society have to answer for that. Emily is the initiative director for a grant aimed at reducing barriers to employment in Lamoille County. Barriers like housing. 
We're having a hard time filling shifts at a lot of the businesses. And that a lot of that has to do with the fact that people are having to drive from an hour away to work here. I'm talking to her because Lamoille County is like the Airbnb capital of Vermont. It's the area of the state that's seen the most dramatic increase in short-term rentals over the past few years, mostly in and around Stowe, a big ski resort town. And there was a feeling that the short-term rental market and the incredible increase in Lamoille County of short-term rentals was affecting our access to housing. And we didn't really know whether that was true. This gets back to Christiana Martin's question about how many short-term rental units are taking away from locals. Christiana, I'm sorry to report that no one knows for sure. Here's Leslie black Plumeau again, who worked on that state housing report. We don't know whether it's somebody's home that is listed when they are out of town on occasion, or um, if it's a guest suite in somebody's house that they sometimes use for family and friends, but then they also sometimes uh, use it as a short-term rental, or it could be somebody's vacation home, and they that would otherwise sit vacant. But then there are homes. We know there are some that are that would have been year-round rental units. So it's it's really a mix of uses, and it's really hard to tell. You know how many of each pot of uses are are in our mix right now in Vermont. I will say that we are certainly seeing a very quick rise in the number of units that are short-term rentals, and we are not seeing that same rise in the number of overall units in our community. So it would stand to reason that at least some of those units that are short-term rentals initially were other houses, and we do ask that question. But standing to reason is not the same as knowing, a point that Emily Rosenbaum in Lamoille County is keenly aware of. And we realized if we didn't know that, our municipalities didn't know that either, and that we wanted our municipalities to take smart, careful action based on what was actually going on in the community, not based on what people guessed was going on in the community. So we decided that it was an opportunity for us to provide that by doing this survey. The survey results were published earlier this year, and they offer a much more detailed picture of short-term rentals in Lamoille County than the statewide data can give. And they challenge the common narrative about short-term rentals and those who own them. Like how only 8% of short-term rental owners who responded said their unit was previously a long-term rental occupied by someone else. Over half said their short-term rental was previously their own primary residence or their own vacation home. Also surprising is that the survey found short-term rentals are helping many residents afford to live there. One of the most interesting questions in the survey was the question of what do you do with the income? 42% of respondents said they use the income to supplement the cost of living in Lamoille County. 39% said they use the income for insurance, medical costs, or automotive costs. I really had no idea that this many people were using short-term rentals to be able to afford to live in the community. And I thought it was a really important thing because that is not the narrative we hear. We can't assume these results would be consistent across the whole state. But statewide data suggests most short-term rental operators are small-scale, rather than people with Airbnb empires. According to Transparent, a vacation rental data company, 93% of short-term rental owners in Vermont operated just one or two listings in January 2023. On the flip side, the other 7% of owners with more than two listings did account for almost half of all listings in the state. So there's a small number of owners who have an outsized impact on Vermont's short-term rental landscape. 
and therefore an outsized impact on the narrative about short-term rental owners. It really hurts me to see people judging one another so fiercely. Julie Marks is the founder of the Vermont Short-Term Rental Alliance, or Vistra, and an Airbnb owner herself. Julie runs three short-term rentals in Vermont, and she knows that this is the type of information that makes a lot of folks quick to judge. To make these assumptions that people who are engaging in this industry are doing it for the wrong reason. You just don't know. Every single person who's renting out their home is doing it for their own reason. Julie's got two listings at her home in Jericho, so owner-occupied. The third is a ski condo in Stowe, which she says was previously a dilapidated inn. And she used to run a short-term rental in Burlington. More on that later. And the added income of short-term renting for just six months is what we needed to pay the taxes and repaint the siding and take care of a 200-year-old house, which needs constant and very expensive maintenance. Julie says there's an important piece of the short-term rental debate that often gets overlooked. She thinks it helps explain where a lot of the anti-Airbnb sentiment is coming from. NIMBYism. The idea that those who oppose short-term rentals do so purely because it's inconvenient for them, or they're biased against quote-unquote outsiders. NIMBYism is live and well in our communities, and we just have this long-standing history of being a vacation rental state. You know, we're second in the nation only to Maine for the number of, highest number of vacation homes um, in the country, and that is not new. That predates the launch of Airbnb. Julie's right. Vermont has been a vacation destination for a long time. Tourism is a major industry here. And Julie sees short-term rental platforms like Airbnb and Verbo as just the latest innovation in Vermont's tourism economy. Leslie Black Plumeau from the Vermont Housing Finance Agency made a related point, that short-term rentals simply aren't as prevalent as many people think. For decades, vacation homes have made up around 17% of Vermont's total housing stock. Short-term rentals don't come close. They make up just 3%. So far far less than our vacation homes, but, you know, but, but increasing and, you know, definitely a concern. And there's a gray area over the scale of that concern. Remember, Vermont has around 10,000 short-term rentals right now that take up an entire home. But Leslie's focused on a different number, the estimate that Vermont needs to add 30 to 40,000 more year-round homes to make up for years of underbuilding and to keep up with the growing demand of people who want to live here. And this gray area over the level of concern about short-term rentals It's a big reason why figuring out how to regulate them is so hard. After the break, a closer look at regulation of short-term rentals. This is a really contested topic. Almost every town I spoke with said that the meetings they had around short-term rentals were heated. Also, things in Kirby escalate. I was very optimistic about the process. But the conditions are have no teeth, right? There's no real regulation there at all. And it was, it was really disappointing. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Brave Little State. I'm Josh Crane. 
And welcome back to Gorham Drive in Kirby, where Ben Merkin is telling me about the Airbnb story playing out on his road. Yes, he's experienced the negative impacts of living close to the Airbnb, but he also spent five years chairing the town's zoning board, intentionally not doing anything about it. It was brought up a number of times, and I just didn't want to touch it. I was afraid of a lawsuit to to the town, and I didn't want to be responsible for that. Was that hard for you, kind of being, having a foot in both camps? Yeah, it was. It was difficult. Um, I also have, throughout this, tried to maintain clear communication with Todd. Just a refresher, Todd is the owner of the Airbnb. He lives about an hour away. Right, like, I don't see him as purely evil. I see him as someone who's trying to make a living for himself and trying to set himself and his family up for retirement. And I get that. We just happen to be on the road that he bought that property on that he's using as a business. And it's our residence, whereas he has a business and it creates a conflict. Ben stepped down from the zoning board in 2022. Later that year, the new board held a series of public meetings led by new board chair, Marty Etter. We had held several meetings throughout the summer to get input from the town's people about what are the changes they want to see in the regulations. The meetings stretched from June through the fall. Many of the Gorham Drive residents I spoke to showed up to share their concerns about the Airbnb. And generally, the feedback was favorable to allowing it as a conditional use. Conditional use. It's basically a very mild attempt at regulation. It allows something to occur, but it places conditions on it. Other things that fall into conditional use in Kirby include campgrounds, religious facilities, and daycare. It all culminated in November of 2022, on Election Day. The town voted 74 to 32 to approve the new conditional use process for short-term rentals. So, short-term rental regulation in Kirby? Check. But the work and the debate didn't stop there because not everyone agreed on what conditions to place on these kind of properties. It was incredibly contentious. I think it's kind of like a nationwide moment where we're, um, where the short-term rental market is really exploding and there's not a lot of regulation, so everyone's kind of just trying to figure it out for the first time. Rachel Hellman is a reporter for Seven Days. And I mostly cover opportunities and challenges in Vermont small towns, which is kind of funny to me because that's every town and everything's an opportunity or a challenge. Recently, she contacted a whole bunch of town offices around the state to ask about short-term rental regulation. Um, And then it was a can of worms. As soon as I reached out to one town, they said, oh, you should talk with these towns. And a lot of towns were quick to say they didn't think there was a one-size-fits-all sort of answer to this because it really depends on what a, what each town wants, you know. So here's a very brief rundown of what Rachel learned. Think of it like short-term rental regulation speed dating. First, towns with a very light touch regulation-wise. There was a number, like um, Killington and Chester, that have opted for requiring short-term rentals to register with the town as kind of a first step. Kirby would probably fall into this bucket, too. Conditional use is different from a registry, but it's a similarly moderate approach. Next up are the heavy hitters. Big regulation. I think one of the most, like, robust 
regulations I saw was in Woodstock. So properties in the village of Woodstock are allowed to rent out rooms no more than six times per calendar year, um, with the exception of foliage season. Um, And Woodstock even created an incentive uh, for landlords to long-term rent versus short-term rent, like they would get a stipend. Um, But when I spoke with them, no one had used it. And then there's the regulation that's gotten the most attention so far, Burlington. In Burlington, of course, which that got a lot of press when it first was kind of coming up, they have to be owner-occupied. After years of heated debate in the city council, Burlington passed a new short-term rental ordinance. It created a short-term rental registry, and it set up owner-occupancy requirements, meaning that in most cases, you've got to live in the property you rent out. This disqualified up to 80% of the city's short-term rentals at the time it passed. Remember Julie Marks of the Vermont Short-Term Rental Alliance? She used to run a short-term unit in Burlington that's no longer allowed under the new ordinance. It's a unit she and her family use from time to time. But none of them live there permanently. Now, Julie has to decide whether to keep the unit for personal use or transition it to a long-term rental. And she's worried about the impact of the new ordinance. Uh, I do have concerns that the a lot of the policies that were put in place will have unintended consequences, um, one being a uh, reduction in rental properties uh, that are available in the city, and the other being an increase in uh, the cost of living and visiting Burlington in general. The actual enforcement of the new rules, though, has been slow going. One of the biggest hurdles to implementation has been the low number of units becoming compliant with the ordinance voluntarily, some of which is due to confusion among short-term rental hosts about the new rules. Also, the ordinance allows hosts without, quote, a path to comply with the newly adopted regulations to continue operating one non-compliant unit until May 2023. What's interesting about the debate over regulation is that it's not really pro-regulation versus anti-regulation. It's more a debate over the speed at which it should be implemented, what it should look like, and at what level. And while many towns appreciate the ability to craft regulation to fit the specific needs of their community, that doesn't mean state regulation has no place. Here's how Marty Etter, chair of the Kirby Zoning Board, put it. We're a town of 400-plus people We don't have the resources to set policy for the state. By setting policy, Marty's referring to legal precedent that seems to favor property owners when it comes to questions about short-term rentals. Questions like, are short-term rentals residential or are they commercial, like motels? Of course, state lawmakers could weigh in on this too. This is something that came up during Rachel Hellman's reporting. I think there really is a sense of wanting some higher up state level looks at these things. Um, and it's hard to get a comprehensive look of what's happening um, without a state level kind of viewpoint. Julie Marks and the Vermont Short-Term Rental Alliance also agree. I do believe that uh, a registration um, and data collection should be done at the state level. So does Emily Rosenbaum in Lamoille County. I think the state of Vermont should be doing this kind of survey of the entire state. I think it's irresponsible to not do something about short-term rentals. And I think it's irresponsible to do something without really digging into what's going on in our communities. 
Vermont lawmakers did pass one piece of short-term rental legislation way back in 2018. It was pretty minor. It required hosts to post contact info in their Airbnb, their own phone number, along with info for the Departments of Health and Public Safety, and things like that. Then in 2021, lawmakers passed a bill that would have established a statewide rental registry. But Governor Phil Scott vetoed it, citing a concern that the registry would disincentivize people from opening new units. Now, there are new bills being discussed. Some of them would accomplish the same thing, a statewide registry. And it's possible short-term rental regulation makes it into a much larger housing bill that would address Act 250 and rules around development. Meanwhile, in Kirby, the planning board is moving forward with conditional use. And at a hearing in February, they reviewed the first two applications for new short-term rentals. Again, we're trying to build a community agreement here. The recording you're hearing was made by Amy Ash Nixon, reporter for the Caledonian Record. Because we're going to have to vote on this within probably tonight or within a week or whatever. It was a long meeting. It was like three and a half hours long. What we decide is conditional. If it turns out later you guys come to us, well, then the condition has been broken, right? And that's when you look at revoking the permit. It was good because a lot of neighbors, everyone involved came and had the conversations in person and worked on building community. Marty Etter and the board eventually approved the applications with these conditions. Two guests per bedroom, a 24-7 contact person for non-emergency issues. There was a discussion about contribution to road maintenance, uh, fire and safety inspection, and renters will be informed of the permit conditions. But here's the kicker. The owner of the two newly approved applications is Todd Glaua the owner of the rental on Gorham Drive. And the location is also on Gorham Drive, right next to Todd's original rental. Here's neighbor Barrett Adams. So there's currently one short-term rental above us. Um, and that's been a problem for years. And now the gentleman that owns it is putting two more full-time short-term rentals. It's going to triple the problems. Remember, Todd did not want to do a recorded interview. But he did give me permission to share this. He told me that he understands why the Gorham Drive neighbors are upset about the loud noises and the cars speeding on the road. He's upset about these things, too. And he's taken steps over the years to try and dissuade this behavior. Like installing security cameras. He supports the new conditional use rules in Kirby because he thinks it will also help to dissuade this behavior. But others on Gorham Drive don't view the new regulation the same way. I was very optimistic about the process, but the conditions are have no teeth, right? There's no real regulation there at all. And it was, it was really disappointing. Would any of you consider leaving because of the the short-term rentals? I'm still holding on to hope. I've reached out to some local legislators, um, and I guess we haven't ever seriously discussed leaving. 
Because I'm still hopeful. <laughs> I have. <laughs> you, uh, have you have what? I don't enjoy it here as much anymore. I, I love the neighbors. Um, I love my home. I love my property. But it's not the same anymore. Um, it's having to listen to partying and snowmobiles. And had I known that this situation would be going on up there, I would not have bought this land. And I've even said, you know, I, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go somewhere else. Before we roll credits, let's go back to Decatur Street in Burlington and the apartment that got an all-pink Airbnb makeover after Django Koenig had to move out. After Django's old neighbors realized his unit had been converted into an Airbnb, they spoke out. One of the main concerns was whether the Airbnb was even legal under Burlington's new short-term rental ordinance. I reached out to Bill Ward, Burlington's permitting and inspections director. He told me that a housing and zoning complaint on that property was filed in October of 2022, and that it's still an open case. He also said that, to his knowledge, the unit is currently not compliant with Burlington's rules for short-term rentals and that he expects all non-compliance issues around the city to be resolved in May. But Bill says that it's still not clear the management company did anything wrong as far as Django's concerned. Yes, his old apartment popped up on Airbnb a few weeks after he moved out. But remember, the management company did do a bunch of electrical work and other renovations in the interim. The management company did not respond to my request for comment, though in an email they sent to a neighbor on Decatur Street last fall, they did say they planned to return the unit to long-term housing in May of 2023 to comply with Burlington's new rules. Legal stuff aside, Django's just sad he lost his home. Me and my wife raised our puppy there, and we were we got married while we were living in that house. Yeah, I just feel such a connection to it because... Yeah, we just grew to love each other there on a, and the community of Burlington on a deep level there. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And thanks to Christiana Martin for the great question. To see more of the data I reference in this episode, head to bravelittlestate.org. While you're there, you can submit your own question about Vermont, sign up for the BLS newsletter, and vote on which question you want us to answer next. We're on Instagram and Reddit at BraveStateVT. I'm Josh Crane. I reported and produced this episode, and I also did the mix and sound design editing and additional production from the rest of the Brave Little State team. Angela Evansy, Myra Flynn, and May Nagusky. Digital support from April McCollum. Ty Gibbons composed our theme music. Other music by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Howard Weiss-Tisman, Amy Ash-Nixon, Madeline Parkin, and Jade Tinsley. And shout out to Jacob Mushlin, who left a tip on the BLS hotline which is how I found Django and that very pink Airbnb on Decatur Street. If you have a tip, or if you just want to say hey, leave us a voicemail at 
552-4880. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public, a proud member of the NPR Network. We have support from our station's sustaining members. If you liked what you heard today, head to bravelittlestate.org donate, or just tell your friends to listen. I'm Josh Crane. We'll be back soon with more people-powered Vermont journalism. Until then. Thank you.